Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about design development and all other crazy sorts of stuff that we find online. And today online I found another crazy person like me, which is a developer and uh, um, someone that likes to thinker with open source and Linux and stuff like that. And his name is Chris and uh, thank you so much for joining this episode of the Nerd Continuity. Yeah, thank you for uh, for having me here, Alex. Oh, it's a real pleasure. So um, who are you? What the hell are you doing? here why, why there's another voice in this podcast today uh yeah i'm a i'm a developer i've uh, been working for uh close to 10 years and uh just recently started doing youtube myself um i uh you know i, I like full stack development so i like mm -hmm. doing back end all the way through front end because i get just stuck doing one thing i get bored <laughs> yes i i totally agree it's the same exact thing you get you get bored after a while like doing just back end or just front end yeah. or just devops you you have to diversify it right otherwise it yeah gets repetitive mm -hmm. yeah exactly and yeah. i know that some people really do like doing one thing and they can <laughs> become an expert in you know i'm an expert node.js developer and um oh. and you know that and that's a that's a great place for you but for me like I just did Node.js all day, I would, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'd exactly. go crazy. And um, do you, like, uh, that's something that I struggle with because a lot of people, they, they, they tell me, like, oh, you're you're good at everything. Oh, you know how to do everything. But mm -hmm. I always consider myself average on pretty everything <laughs> because I, I get, like, really excited about, I don't know, JavaScript development, and I got into it, and then after a year or less, I'm like, oh, this is boring. I want to do something else. So I never actually master that field 100%. I reach, like, 70 75%, and then uh, I'm done. So, uh, how how's for you? Like, do you go full on a topic and then you switch another one, or you just like chip away from everything? Um, yeah, I kind of do a little bit of both. Um, I started a new job uh, earlier in 2017 doing Laravel. Um, it was the first time I'd worked in Laravel, so for the first six months, I was just watching tons <laughs> of Laracast and just yes. trying to get used to PHP and everything and mm -hmm. um but you know on the, on the side I, I like to be like oh like let's look at Vue.js we're not using that at work but you know I like to play with that or okay re the React community seems strong I want to see what that's about and mm -hmm. um so yeah I just I like to play with a lot of things uh you know I feel like once you learn one JavaScript framework you can just kind of you know start picking up bits and pieces of another one you'll never be as good as somebody who just does React but um <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, I noticed that there are a lot of users, a lot of followers that they keep asking, and maybe you can give some clarity on this also. They keep asking, like, what's the best framework I should pick? Or like, is it good if I start learning? I have like no background in JavaScript. Is it good if I start immediately learning React or just Vue.js? Mm -hmm. And my advice, and you can tell me if you don't agree, of course, but my advice usually is just, if you have zero background, just learn vanilla JavaScript really, really well, especially the new ES6 uh, scripting convention. And then after that, after you 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 learn that, that you know pretty much everything about it, it doesn't matter the framework because everything is going to be kind of familiar and you're going to be able to uh, start working on whatever type of framework and jump between frameworks as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, you know... Web development these days, there's a new JavaScript framework every day. Almost. Oh my like, god! <laughs> yeah, that's annoying. I, 
I, I can't imagine how hard it is for people that are just getting into web development today because, I mean, back in the day, you just had HTML, CSS, or even just inline styles, and yes. Hello World was one file. Yeah. And now you've got NPM dependencies, and you've got oh 400 God. megabytes of node <laughs> modules, and, you know, it's it's crazy. So, uh, yeah, I think learning the fundamentals of, of just HTML, vanilla JavaScript, CSS, um, and then, uh, you know, just kind of picking up what, what interests you, um, because all these frameworks, at the end of the day, they do the same thing, just slightly mm -hmm. different. Yeah, true. That's exactly true. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if you noticed this, I don't know, it feels like the web technologies now, it's all high on cocaine, because up, 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 <laughs> I don't know, up until like five years ago or six years ago, like HTML was stuck at the same level, like CSS was always CSS 2.0 or 2.1. And for mm -hmm. years, years, it was always like that. No new introductions, no new conventions, no new, not even new markups. And suddenly, the only thing that was kind of advanced was jQuery. And then now, mm -hmm. suddenly, once every three months, there's a new PHP version release, a new JavaScript version, a new uh, framework, and a new extension of CSS, and then the next CSS, and then there's post-CSS, and then there's SCSS. <laughs> So it's, I don't know what, what happened. Like, did we suddenly get super smart and we figured out like, <laughs> oh, actually we can do this. Yeah, I, I don't know, but new developers don't know the struggle of, uh, of writing full applications in just jQuery. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that was a fun time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, it, it does happen very fast. It's, um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can't keep up with everything. So, oh yeah, exactly. Knowing the fundamentals is, is the biggest thing to be able to to, to help consume all the, the new technologies that are just being thrown at you daily. Yes, true, true. And uh, talking about innovation and new things that are going to disrupt a little bit the workflow of a lot of people, uh, one of the first topics that we have in this episode of the Nerd Continuity is talking about Gutenberg, the new WordPress editor slash plugin slash integration slash core component, whatever they're going to call it. Uh, it's something that is going to be released in version 5 of WordPress, the next version. Right now we are 4.9 at the time of this recording. And um, I have a lot of thoughts about Gutenberg. Uh, do, did you try it? Do you, um, do you give it a shot? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to try it, you can download a plugin right now mm -hmm. um you know don't do it on a production site <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, good advice yeah. yeah um and i i have tried it um i really like it mm -hmm. uh for me i'm you know fairly new at wordpress i've, I've never worked in wordpress professionally as mm -hmm. like a job so um i know a lot of developers that have created plugins for things that gutenberg is now kind of replacing and they're kind yeah. of upset about that but i think overall it's, it's going to be a very good move um, for those that don't know what Gutenberg is, it's it's really replacing the content editor of WordPress. Mm -hmm. So where you're writing your posts, where you're writing your pages, um, I think the UX is a lot better. Oh. Um, yeah. Everything, I mean, that WYSIWYG editor in WordPress is... Wow, know, WordPress, <laughs> yeah, WordPress used that tiny MCE extension, that JavaScript library for like doing this WYSIWYG since version 2.7 or something. So it's been like almost 10 years that it's always on yeah. the same platform and same framework. So yeah, it's getting daunting <laughs> to actually use that thing. Yeah, and the new Gutenberg, everything is going to be a block. So mm -hmm. 
simple things like your headers and paragraphs are going to be a block, but also um, if you want to embed a, a small, um, like a, I think they have a um, image gallery where you can say, hey, I want to show these nine images on three columns. So you have like a three by three grid of images. Mm -hmm. You can just plop that in there and um, you can easily move them up and down. So I think uh, for, for average users that are not developers, you know, giving them something like a short code, people are probably like, this is kind of weird. Why am I putting codes in yes. my, my post, you know? And this is going to make it so that instead of a short code, you can make a new block for this custom thing somebody wants in their theme. Mm -hmm. um, and they can they can just put it in their post and it looks the way it's supposed to look as opposed to this weird code with parameters and stuff. So. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Like, I really like this approach. It's kind of... It's going to be kind of weird. Like the first time it was introduced, uh, the community was super divided. It was almost 50-50. Like someone loved it, someone hated it so much. Uh, the fact is that it's a completely different approach, but the main problem that WordPress is trying to solve is exactly what you were talking about. Like the ability to uh, write some content for end users that are not developers without the necessity of actually writing code. And we all know that tiny MC writing code and HTML is just terrible, especially because every time you save the post, I don't know if you ever noticed this, it does strips away some uh, mm -hmm. unnecessary HTML for the software are unnecessary, but for the developers are not. Like if you put a div that doesn't have any content in it, it's just an empty div, then maybe it's a block style that, that you put there. It just strips it away. You cannot have break lines like BRs, tags. It just strip them away. <laughs> so it's just like, does whatever he wants, uh, the tiny MC. Instead, like Gutenberg, it's, um yeah, it's this new approach that it's way more visual and I think the inspiration was mostly because when the user wants to build something in WordPress, the first thing that he does is looking for a visual editor, the best visual editor like Elementor or Site Origin mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And all, all these visual editors are great, but there are really few of them that are not super bloated and super heavy on your uh, on your installation. So WordPress is trying to solve mm -hmm. this issue of you don't need to install a gigantic plugin in order to just align two images on your content. Yes. <laughs> um, and um, did you hear about all the shenanigans with the license and uh, the the source code of yeah, how it was the built? License. Yeah. 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 Just, just yeah. People were all freaking out about React not that long ago, and uh, I know Facebook changed the licensing some for React, but um, it was all in on React, and I. I think do they switch to view? Uh, no, actually, I I have no idea. I want to check it, but I know that uh, I talked with a developer <laughs> a couple of months ago, which like it was really great. Like I met it at a bar here in Vancouver. Just it was just a total random uh, random coincidence. But I started asking him so many questions, and he didn't want to answer too much. But he told me that they are basically they're trying to do everything to be framework agnostic. Uh, so they rewrote a lot of stuff in vanilla JavaScript, just ES6, regular ES6, because they want to give the users the ability to uh, create add-ons, so new generated blocks, in whatever framework you want. So Gutenberg can accept React, can accept Vue.js, uh, can accept vanilla JavaScript and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not That's sure if they rewrote it completely or because the way 
Um, so just a little bit background. Um, Gutenberg was built initially in React, that it's a um, framework developed by Facebook. And the license of React was, yes, was open source, but was a, a like slightly modified version of MIT license, which had this little thing at the, at the end as if whatever, for whatever reason, some of, um, I don't know, a user, a developer, someone that is using this framework uh, gets in, um, I don't know, gets in the issue with Facebook, uh, with a, like a law, a lawsuit or stuff like that, automatically the, the license will prevent that user to use that framework and all the other um, users or developers that were connected to the user. So it yeah. was this and, cascading madness. And Facebook's got plenty of money for lawyers. So it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the issue for yeah, the issue for WordPress is that if a user is using Gutenberg that is built in React, and that user is having like a lawsuit with Facebook, cascading like automatically, that lawsuit will repercuss on WordPress because WordPress is using the same framework that the user is using, which is like insane. Uh, so yeah, they decided to drop it and other, I think like other, um, businesses that were starting to drop react. So Facebook decided to, okay, let's adopt just a regular open source license. Let's not do these shady things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't know if in those two months that passed, like actually WordPress started refactoring everything. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting that they're going to allow, I think it's a good idea that they're going to allow Vue and React and kind of anything to work with it because that really opens it up to any developer that's used to working in their own mm -hmm. uh, you know, JavaScript framework to uh, to be able to to contribute to the Gutenberg, uh, the blocks and everything that you can develop for. Yes, exactly. Um, what do you think is going to happen to all those uh, visual editors for WordPress, all those like third-party plugins that they're basically trying to do what Gutenberg is doing? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it... I would think that it's kind of bad news for them. Um, I think they could, they could probably pivot to building blocks that are, you know, kind of doing what they do now, but do them in the blocks. Mm -hmm. um, which I, you know, I did see somebody uh, talking about something on Twitter the other day, and it brought up something that kind of made sense to me. Was that if you start installing twenty plugins for twenty different blocks you want for your posts and everything. Are you loading 20 different CSS styles or is WordPress going to do something clever to kind of minify them all and put them into like one Gutenberg style sheet? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. I didn't think about it. That's a really good point. Uh, that never, like WordPress never does that. <laughs> never <Yeah. laughs> optimize anything. That's also a huge issue with uh, Jetpack that it's... Um, a plugin developed by the same WordPress developers by Automatic. And also Jetpack, mm -hmm. you have like, it's basically like a massive plugin that has inside many different small features that you can activate and deactivate. But every time you activate a feature, it loads the specific CSS and JavaScript of that feature. So I had in the past websites with uh, seven or different features related to Jetpack activated and you have like, 16 different HTTP calls to mm. eight different CSSs and eight different JavaScript. Nothing is uh, like um, built or like bundled together in one single minified mm -hmm. file. So 
that's a really good point. How insane is gonna get this thing? Yeah, because I mean, because these blocks, I mean, they they might be small and simple, but if you're loading a ton of different style sheets, that could really slow down your site. Yeah, man, that's yeah, that's a that's a big issue. Um, I think like the the editors, like the page editors, should or yeah, should do or like start creating blocks for Gutenberg or uh, do the things that Gutenberg doesn't do. And it's actually building the full page because Gutenberg is just for the content of your post. You cannot mm -hmm. actually build like the menu or the sidebar or stuff like that. It's just for the content of the page or, or the post. So these, right. yeah, these visual editors, probably they should try to make it easier to build the website, but also in that, from that point of view, there's the customizer that WordPress is trying to uh, push with the customizer API that gives the that ability to actually customize the look and feel. Um, do you think WordPress is trying to get rid of all the plugins so far? Like it's trying, <laughs> has this agenda to, I'm going to destroy all those companies that rely <laughs> on WordPress. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I'm not sure if they're really doing it maliciously but <laughs> um but maybe just trying to uh you know i think there's a lot of people out there that are you know just running their own wordpress site they're, they're not developers and they're just see plugins that do all these things and they just start installing them like crazy and yeah then they wonder why their site's slow so maybe it's just a way for wordpress to say like look like if you have a wordpress site it's gonna run fast and you can do all these things mm -hmm. and um you know more more straight out of the box you can yeah design it the way you want yeah i think yeah i think that's the goal to have like a more complete platform that can compete against like medium or ghost or these other platforms that already have like a pretty solid like you don't need third-party plugins or any integration from a developer in order to have a fully functional and looking good website and that's what mm -hmm. we're pressing trying to do like so far if you don't find a good theme that has a lot of plugins and it's heavily customized. If you have like WordPress out of the box, it's really limited with the things that you can do if you're not a developer. So probably, yes, the approach is appealing to non-developers. Um, there are still a bunch of cons of Gutenberg, but I think it's just because it's in early stages, uh, but it doesn't support the markdown. Uh, it doesn't allow to create custom fields and custom meta boxes, which is super, super bummer. <laughs> it's just like really yeah. annoying. <laughs> and yes, because it's super new, there are basically like close to zero integrations or um, I don't know about the learning curve because it's, it's starting like I, I was looking at some tutorials or some like insights and it, it feels like it adopts its own type of custom markup and custom actions in order to do something. Like you wanna write the heading, you have to use this forward slash sort of like Slack style uh, shortcuts in order to activate something. So I'm not sure about the learning curve about that, but it's, it's definitely an interesting approach and I'm so happy that we're moving away from the tiny MCE, which is terrible. It's always been terrible. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, me too. I mean, that thing's been around forever, and it's it's time for something new. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so talking about visual editors, one of the best that you can still use so far, and this is like a shameless plug for like ads, um, but it's a good segue, I guess. Uh, one of the best that you can use until Gutenberg is out, it's called Elementor. Have you ever tried Elementor? I haven't tried it yet. No, I've seen you talk about it a few times, but yeah, I have definitely. Tried it. I have an affiliate link, so you should click on it and just like give it a try. <laughs> uh, there's a free version of it that it basically has everything. You can definitely do all the things that you can that you want to do with a free version. The pro version has way more blocks, and it looks like the developers of Gutenberg looked at Elementor and said, oh, we want to do something like this for the core of WordPress because it looks really similar in the way that it works and it acts. But you can uh, literally build the entire pages, not just the content. And uh, it's one of the, I think, I'm not sure if it's the only one, but it's one of the few that it doesn't bloat your page with inline CSS or inline JavaScript every time you add a new block. Everything is compressed, is minified, and it loads external one CSS and one JavaScript. And that's it. It's just like super sweet, super good. Uh, so definitely give it a try. And uh, that's it for the shameless plug for this episode. <laughs> hey, you got to make money somewhere, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next topic of today is about Tailwind CSS. And you are probably the expert here because you're doing this <laughs> super cool uh, tutorial series on your uh, newly opened YouTube channel about mm -hmm. building a WordPress theme with Tailwind CSS. So. What is Tailwind CSS? Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, Tailwind is a utility-based framework, uh, or CSS framework made by um, Adam Wathan and uh, a few other guys, I think, contributed to it. Um, and I, I was actually totally against it when I first heard him <laughs> talking about making it. I was like, this is a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> because good. when I first saw it, um, you know, you look at these CSS classes that Tailwind generates for you, and they're, they're things like, uh, text color and and padding and margin and and you know you put those in your HTML and I was looking at it as okay you're just you're just doing inline styles in a slightly different way. <laughs> um, so my big complaint about that was like okay that that's fine if you want to just do like a a nice little code pin example of a of a cool card or a checkout yeah. box or something. Um, but in real life you're building large applications, you know, if I want all the buttons to look the same and I want to change the border radius of my buttons, I have to go through my HTML and find every place I've put a button and all these classes and change it. Um, but that's not actually the case. Um, I, I finally actually sat down and read the docs and um, you can you can compose your own components made up of these utilities. Mm -hmm. uh, so it allows you to kind of prototype really quickly in the browser. You know, you can just play with the HTML elements and add classes and, and get it to way you, the way you want it to look. And then if you want to reuse that, you can just make a class called button and you can apply those styles. And it's a, it's just a real easy and, and fast way to just kind of design in the browser. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. Like it's a fast and easy way to design in the browser. That's a... 
that's a good way of saying it um yeah that's um that's the thing like the first reaction that i had was like oh damn they're copying my own approach because i <laughs> i've been using like this utility first type of approach uh since the past two years or something i don't know if you ever saw my a a AWPS WordPress starter theme. Um, I built in there my own custom SCSS framework that basically works the same. You have it's all based on mixings and repeaters that auto generate your code based on uh, arrays or variables or uh, yeah groups of data, and automatically the CSS gets spit out dynamically. So you don't actually have to write CSS. You just define mm -hmm. a variable. And the, the script generates for you the variation of text color, background color, type of border, and blah, 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 based on your variables. And um, the thing that is changing, that it's kind of like challenging for users, especially like I, I feel like this approach is really good for experienced developers, but for new developers, it's kind of like weird to do it that way uh, mm -hmm. because there's this... Uh, misconception that your HTML should have one or two classes and that's it. And you shouldn't have like 20 different classes in it. So since right now everyone was like writing, I don't know, a div, the class was the class header. So you go into your CSS, you write dot header, and then you have this 35 line of CSS that to, to define the <laughs> header, the background, the border, hover state, focus, and all this kind of stuff. Instead... Right. The approach is that you have a really small class declaration, for example, just BG white that deals only with the background and that's it. And then in your HTML, you have an, every element has its own list of classes that are all modular, that can all integrate and chat with each other and work with each other. And uh, so your HTML looks actually looks really messy. I don't know if, if you agree with yes. that. It looks really <laughs> yeah, it, bloated. It really does, yeah. <laughs> but it's not an issue because it's not that it's going to load slower your website. It's like it's just HTML. It's just text. It loads like it instantly. It's not, it's not that. Uh, but the thing that it helps a lot is just actually reading the CSS classes in your HTML is so eloquent, it's so easy to understand. Instead of mm -hmm. having a class header or like header variation, you have BG white, item center, border rad radius, border rounded, overflow hidden. You have these classes that are like, they emulate the CSS declarations that they represent, which is, I think it's fantastic. <laughs> so I really, really like it. Yeah, and uh, Tailwind is generated by a, a configuration file that runs uh, post-CSS. So it's yes. CSS generated by JavaScript. Um, so you can configure it. You can add your own colors if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I have I have no design background, and I'm terrible with colors. So <laughs> to be able to just use the default colors that come with it for me is, is perfect. But for someone who is like, I have this particular color I want to add in here, you can just go in there, add it, add your variations for darker and lighter, mm -hmm. and it'll automatically spit out the classes for you. It's it's uh, it, it's really highly configurable. It's it's really cool to use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, so one of the main complaints about Tailwind CSS was uh, related to the file size, which is actually yep. 
kind of like heavy because I'm I'm looking at the official documentation in the file size. They say that Bootstrap is a 22 kilobyte, uh, Foundation is 16 kilobytes, and instead of like Tailwind CSS, Minified and GZipped, so super compressed, is 36 kilobytes, which is almost the double of of Bootstrap. Like we'll almost close to the double of Bootstrap. Um, but do yeah. you have experience? Did you did you play with it in order to optimize it or trying to uh, shrink the file size? Um, I've done a little bit. Um, actually, my latest video that just came out Friday, um, at the end of the episode, I, I did do some modifications to it. The uncompressed, like, standard CSS file I was generating for that product was, I believe, 280 kilobytes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by just removing all the colors that we're not using... That brought it down to, I think, 178 kilobytes. Nice. Um, so, and then, you know, there's a lot more that we can take out. We can minify and gzip it and everything. But, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, if you think about something like the color, um, like the color green, it, it's adding classes for background green, for border green, for text green, for, I mean, anything that could be green, it's, it's creating classes <laughs> for that. So yes. Just by removing and stripping out all those colors that we're not using, uh, I mean, it almost half the size. Yeah. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's definitely more things in there, uh, like mm-hmm. the margin sizes that you might not be using, or maybe you're not using certain screen widths. You mm-hmm. can take those out. Um, so, out of the box, it is it is huge. It's very massive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's it's definitely a good idea to go through there and, mm-hmm. and pick out the things that you actually want. Yeah, exactly. And that's like that kind of like helps with my arguments of saying like that this is not for a new developers because new developers, they don't want to edit things. Why all, right. we all use Bootstrap because it's built, it's ready to go. You just put it in your website and that's it. You don't have to strip away things or edit the core files and stuff like that. But also that should be like a good approach. That should be the proper approach. If you don't use the JavaScript part of Bootstrap, you don't use the models or the popover or stuff like that, just you should actually remove those because those are really heavy. Um, mm-hmm. So I think people were expecting the same thing from Tailwind CSS, that you just have it prepackaged and you just use it. You don't have to touch it and you just use the classes. Instead, the proper approach, as you said, is just edit the config file and remove the things that you don't use. Otherwise, it's kind of silly, like having 75 colors declarations if you just use, yeah. <laughs> if you have like a website with five colors. <laughs> so, Yeah, exactly. And the configuration file is actually really well documented. It's, it's super easy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's separated into nice big sections and... Um, so it, it, it's really easy for, for you to just go in there and, and edit it. Yeah, I love it. Um, I This is my first time experience with post-CSS. Post CSS. I never actually uh, worked with it, and I kind of love it so far. It's just really, really fantastic, really intuitive. Yeah, this is my first time messing with it as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when I found out, I found out about Tailwind, and I was mad about the, like, the inline style thing. And then I was like, and now they're putting CSS and JavaScript. I was like, where are we? What what is what is happening? Like, yes. we had this whole separation of concerns. You know, you have your your structure in your HTML, yeah. your styles in your CSS, and and it's it's everywhere now. What's what's happening? Yeah. But it's it it makes sense when you when you really look at C and what Tailwind is doing with that mm-hmm. configuration file and how it's generating all these classes for you. And it's 
it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And uh, the the amazing thing is that it's super new. It's not even a year old, I guess. And it's um, it's at version 0.4. So it's still missing a lot of things. Like you don't have any option for uh, uh, animations and transitions to customize those in the config file. It's just really static from that point of view. But it's built, and I love this part, it's built to accept custom modules. Look, you can build your own custom modules and you can even use a shortcut like at apply to call uh, pre-generated built-in classes so you don't have to rewrite the same thing if you want to use a color that you define in the config in your own custom modules you can just call it dynamically without manually write it and um yeah it's it's pretty great it's like the 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 community of developers just jumped on board immediately and had a lot of contributions and pull requests and uh, issues reporting and stuff like that. So it's evolving really fast and it's great. Yeah, I think there's a, a website, um, I think it's called tailwindcomponents.com or something along that oh, line, really? where people are actually submitting like, um, you know, oh, you want you want a warning box? This is what it looks like and here's the code for it. And you can just kind of grab that and use it in your site instead of, you know, having to come up with your own. <laughs> oh man, I didn't know this. Oh yes, I'm looking at this site. I love it. Tailwind components. Yes, this is beautiful. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Chris. This is like the best thing ever. Look at that. Oh yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yes, I... Okay. So yeah, if you want to do something cool and put it up there, uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure they'd love to have plenty of new components up there all the time yeah for sure and i think like if you build something really really cool like for example the components for this transitions or the some specific animations that are not in the base file you can definitely mm -hmm. do a pull request and have it integrated in the master branch which is which mm -hmm. i think it's great and that reminds me um there is something that is not part of tailwind that um i'm not sure if they're planning on adding it or not because it's kind of easy to do on its own in CSS. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the new CSS grid. Yes. Good segue. Have man. you uh, <laughs> have you have you used uh, the grids yet? Uh, no, I followed a bunch of tutorials and West Boss just released a free series of tutorial about CSS grid, which is mind blowing. Um, but I haven't used it on production, just like playing with it and building small stuff like small, uh, the usual golden layout ratio with like header, yes. sidebar, body, <laughs> and then trying to reorder them dynamically on responsive. But I haven't integrated into a real project so far. What about you? Yeah, um, I actually started learning it from um, Jeffrey Way because he had a course yes. on Laracast mm -hmm. um, before West Boss came out with his. So mm -hmm. um, and I think West Boss's is quite a bit longer, maybe more in depth. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was enough to get me started. And I, I played last week and I was building a little Laravel application um, and I started using it and it's, it's so easy to use. It's, it's really cool. I mean, you can, you can set column sizes to be, give them a minimum maximum. Like, you know, I want this column to never shrink smaller than 250 pixels, mm -hmm. but I also don't want it to grow more than 50% of the page size. Um, it's just, it's just really cool. It's like, how did we, how did we develop with just floats before, you know? <laughs> oh man. Yes. That's, um, that's 
that's something that makes you think like who came up first with the approach because the css grid approach feels really natural and feels really like that's how it's supposed to be because that's how our brain thinks in terms of organizing stuff on a surface on like Mm -hmm. on a a space grid instead we came up with these columns and rows and uh uh, float left, float right, and then all this kind of like weird stuff <laughs> at the beginning for CSS styling is just like, and it was really complicated, but everyone adopted this approach. So no one thought mm-hmm. about maybe a grid approach would be more intuitive. Yeah. And I mean, the, the tricks you'd have to do with, like, if you look at what Bootstrap does, or at least the older Bootstraps, I think the new one might be using grid. Um, you have a row and it's got negative margins and then the columns have <laughs> positive margins to like make it look right. And it's, it's just, it feels hacky. <laughs> yeah. It's super hacky. Um, yeah. Bootstrap for right now, I think they stopped the development because CSS grid became a thing. Uh, but bootstrap mm-hmm. four so far it's in beta and it uses Flexbox, which is like oh, okay. kind of like two years behind <laughs> the rest. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, one of the main issues when I uh, when I work with junior developers, they always have, and they're using Bootstrap, they always have that horizontal scrolling of the page because they don't know how to properly <laughs> yeah. use the container. So the negative margin of the columns, they mess up everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a yeah. usual Bootstrap issue because the way it's built. So if you don't follow exactly the structure, it gives you that negative margin on the side. It's ter- terrible, terrible. Yeah. Oh, yes. I remember getting stuck on that and just <laughs> trying to figure out where is this, this extra 15 pixels coming from? Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, what about browser compatibility with CSS Grid? I know that actually it was interesting. I saw a presentation that Internet Explorer was one of the first to adopt CSS Grid, but then they're not adopting the new conventions and the new um, markups of CSS Grid. So it's compatible, but not fully with new stuff, which is mm, okay. typical Microsoft approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's supported in, in Microsoft Edge though, right? Yeah, it should be. Um, I think I saw... Um, if for any newer developers that don't know, there's there's a great website called caniuse.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ever want to use something new like CSS Grid, you just go to that website, type in Grid, and it'll show you all the browsers and what it's compatible with. And I think Grid is or CSS Grid is is not compatible with Opera, mm. but it is compatible with uh, all the other modern browsers, yeah. Safari and Chrome. What's the uh, what's the market share of Opera? You know that. Uh, Let me just a quick Google research. Opera, Opera, Opera browser, four percent, which is eh, which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> December for December two thousand seventeen. Well, Microsoft Edge is one point five percent, which is <laughs> it's pretty is pretty interesting. Yeah, I would have thought Edge would have been higher oh. with all the uh, yeah. Windows ten computers, but for desktop uh for all browser yeah there's like a weird separation of like there are a lot of like different statistics here but yeah an average of internet explorer and edge together combined there are like a five percent um Mm -hmm. which is interesting because all the 
uh, auto compilers of your CSS or like prefixers and stuff like that, you have like the default settings is that don't add a prefix for browsers that are less than 5% of the market share. Uh, so, <laughs> Explorer and Edge are not in there. Uh, Opera is higher. So. But yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting. And I bet a lot of the Internet Explorer users are are corporate users. Um, True. I, I work for a, a very large company, and we have to support IE 11. Um, most people, I think all the computers have both IE and Chrome, but we have a lot of these extremely old applications that only work on IE for some reason. God. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, it's it can be frustrating sometimes, especially uh, even with like JavaScript performance. You'll yeah. test something in Chrome, and we're still using Angular JS, mm-hmm. um, and it just flies in Chrome. And then you load it up on IE, and it's just crawling. And it's like, <laughs> what is happening? Like too many DOM elements, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. No, it's it's terrible. I don't. Yeah, we decided in our company to not support Internet Explorer. Like, we don't have the resources to invest on it. Uh, we don't support right. Microsoft. We, it's like a super brutal user experience thing. But if you access our website in Chrome, in uh, Internet Explorer or Edge, like a giant banner opens up on top and said, "Hey, you should use a <laughs> modern browser." <laughs> it's like not. You shouldn't be using this crap. <laughs> exactly. Like, do you like internet? So you should have like a better experience in it. <laughs> Uh, it's like it's terrible but yeah we don't want to support that so uh yeah css grid definitely i don't know if uh, for sure like for new user this is kind of like one of the weird technologies that these new technologies that it's so easy for new developers for junior developers because their brain is not solidified on the old concept of columns and negative margins Mm -hmm. and flexbox and stuff like that uh, but for all really old developers, I saw the struggle in it. Like I talked with some friends that they have like 10 plus years of experience with CSS Grid. It's like, ah, no, I don't like it. I prefer the usual row and column and floats. Uh, and just like, ah, come on, man. Just <laughs> jump. And floats on. are just so finicky. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they can cause so many issues if, if you don't have a clear fix and, you know. Yeah, I, I, it's terrible. And there's um, the classic example is that if you want to fully make your uh, uh, UI responsive properly, you're going to end up sooner or later to have duplication. Uh, I also remember when I started at a company, I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to shit on them. <laughs> when I started at a company, they had three different menus components. Like they have a menu for mobile and a menu for tablet and a menu for desktop because the developer didn't know how to properly use or Flexbox or CSS Grid in order to make it fully responsive. So they had, I don't know, uh, 20 pages. So almost 60 templates for those 20 pages because (laughs) everything was separated. They had literally the name of the template, then .mobile.php. I was like, what the hell is this? Wow. Oh my God. Yeah, I know when uh, smartphones first kind of came out, a lot of websites you would, if it was like Facebook.com, you the phone would take you to m.facebook.com. Oh, yes, they were a completely separate website that yeah. they and, had to build. <laughs> and when you were Crazy. trying to share the link with someone, and you were sharing the m <laughs> dot, uh, they were accessing the mobile version on desktop. It was looking like what the hell is this? <laughs> like it <Yeah>. looks horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, oh good times, good times, man. Yeah. Um, something else about CSS Grid? Do you do you have like 
Uh, other than Laracast, did you follow other tutorials or something else that you could recommend? Uh, I believe there's a, um, I also recommend this for Flexbox. There, there's uh, some cheat sheets on CSSTricks.com. Yes. Uh, the Flexbox cheat sheet, I I use Flexbox a lot and I I always go to that oh, page because yeah. I can never remember how do you align the children, mm-hmm. you know, and they have one for CSS Grid as well and it uh, goes into details on like each setting, you know, and how is it going to affect the layout and things like that. So um, CSSTricks.com is just a great site in general for, for mm-hmm. web development and, and styling. Yeah, that's perfect. I always have those important pages i don't know like this is like um something like shameful for me but uh whenever i have to do like um pseudo element like a triangle i always go (laughs) to that page and that page on css tricks that shows like how to do a pseudo element triangle and arrow top arrow bottom or just always uh, i've been doing that for many years i can never remember how to do it yeah copy paste that code Something that... and that's a that's definitely a note to take take home for junior developers. Like, don't worry about memorizing this stuff. Like, oh, we've, yeah. we've Alex and I have both been doing this for a long time, and mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a professional Googler. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, it's like that. Yeah, I have actually a lot of comments on my videos are like, how do you remember this thing? Or like, this is getting frustrated because I follow like five videos and I cannot remember the things that I did in the first video. I'm like, it's normal. Like before doing a tutorial, yeah. I open the documentation and I just read it while I'm doing the tutorials. I'm just like, after 10 plus years of development, I, I just know how to Google things to find them yeah. <laughs> because I know exactly. those keywords and I know what, what I'm looking for, but I absolutely, I don't remember the code by hand like mm-hmm. it is it's it's insane you can't remember html you can't remember yes css declarations those are kind of simple but mm-hmm. even when i'm now i'm i'm working in laravel and i've been working in laravel for like three years even now when i have to build a controller and create a middleware i always use open the documentation because i don't remember everything oh yeah definitely it's mm-hmm. You know, and, and like we were talking earlier, how fast this stuff changes. There's oh. there's something new out every day. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, random question: Do you mm-hmm. do you feel like, and that's a personal thing. Like, do you feel like the term LTS, like long term support, doesn't make mm-hmm. sense anymore these days? <laughs> um, in a way, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Laravel. I think five point five is the new LTS, right? Yeah, and it was like. 5.4 before and then taylor otwell decided no i'm gonna actually do 5.5 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i know they're working on 5.6 which i'm i'm sure will be released right around the time of uh Laracon us which is in june i believe yes it's in june correct are you gonna uh, attend so yes uh, i'm actually attending this year i was supposed to go last yes. year but we were swamped with work and they said we couldn't go <laughs> But uh, yeah, this year, uh, uh, myself and my architect are going up to uh, Chicago to attend. Oh, um, beautiful! So I'm I'm planning on recording some of the events and and making a making a video on just uh, just kind of seeing all the cool stuff that's going on up there. And uh, um, I think it's gonna be a really fun conference. Do it, do it, absolutely! I would have loved to attend, but uh, for personal reason, I can. I'm just like super super busy. I cannot take a lot of time, so I bought like the online tickets. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. stream it uh, at work and then during that morning. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's actually like pretty great what Taylor Otwell was able to achieve 
with a PHP framework that he built for himself, yeah. basically. Yeah, I actually had uh, I had lunch with him uh, when I started working in this Laravel position because um, my my job is uh, headquartered in, in Little Rock, which is near where he lives. Oh, nice! And uh, the guy I work with just happens to be like buddies with him, so no <laughs> so we had way. Lunch and, and Taylor's an awesome guy. Yeah. I I felt bad I didn't really have any questions for him because this was my first week on the job. I've been watching Laracast <laughs> for like a week. You know, so I was like, I don't, I don't really know Laravel. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> like, yeah. let's have lunch. But, uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy, and uh, I mean, he's built an amazing framework. Oh yeah, yeah, it's um, it's fantastic, and I, I, I always, I think it's funny, but it's not definitely it's not funny for him. But I always like uh, reading his blog posts when he talks about his experience with really old developers that they constantly bash on uh, Laravel and his approach and every time he was trying to basically appeal to them like the the, the early years of Laravel it was like building a thing and everyone's like okay yeah you did the thing it's cool but what about this other thing you forgot to put this or why you why you're not doing this why you're not doing that so he was always trying to uh, make them happy and then he decided not uh, why like I want this to be light and easy and mm-hmm. modern uh, do you remember that backlash of like the type hinting thing <laughs> I don't know if you follow that thing uh, I don't remember that one no uh, there was um, uh, what was the name of the video in Laracast that actually Jeffrey Way did like the visual depth a video about visual depth where he basically started with a file that was like plain and simple and typical object-oriented in PHP, where you have all the typing thing, all the declaration, you have an interface for your class, you have uh, the construct that does, that redeclares the same variable, like really strict type of quote-unquote old-school PHP. And he started talking about visual depth. It's like, you don't really, like if you're passing just a string to your method, you don't need to type in this is a string because it's just a string and only can be a string. So you can remove that. If your class is really simple, you don't need an interface. If you don't, you reuse that class multiple times, that interface multiple times, stuff like that. So you basically remove all the extra things that really old Java developers love because in Java, if you don't (laughs) type in everything, Java won't work. Instead in PHP, you can avoid to do type in thing. And that, I don't know, that triggered a massive backlash from a lot of developers especially on reddit and uh they started like insulting each other and (laughs) it was it was it wasn't it wasn't nice it was it was really really bad (laughs) yeah i know a lot of uh a lot of php or like symphony or just procedural php developers just Mm -hmm. hate laravel and i i don't understand it i mean it's it's so much easier to use like yeah the the documentation is clean uh the code you write in laravel is just easy to read um i've I've really enjoyed it i I came from a net background and there's a lot of similarities um i think he he did take a lot of ideas from net and probably ruby on rails as well oh yeah ruby Um, on rails definitely but uh it's you know you can look at laravel it just makes sense you know yeah true indeed uh, definitely and it gives you like the ability to do a lot of things and it's really it's really solid like I love how solid it is and how it yeah it makes sense to look at the structure um, 
yeah, mm, well, whatever. These these old shoes that we are so <laughs> we're so young and free. No, we're not. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so uh, the last topic of today is about uh, it's not really about hosting providers, but it's more about like cloud servers versus hosting providers and stuff like that. So first of all, which do you like? You have your own personal website that is uh, chrisperker.net, right? Yes, that's correct. Is that on uh, which provider, which server? That is on uh, DigitalOcean. Um, so I've I switched to DigitalOcean probably three years ago, maybe. Mm. Um, before that, I was using I'm not going to say the name, but um, like a shared hosting provider, and they were good for a while, um, and they got bought up by like this mega hosting corporation. I know what you're talking I, about. <laughs> The service just went to crap. I one day, I logged in because I got an invoice for like two hundred dollars. I logged in. I realized that somebody had used my account to stand up like a virtual private server that was costing tons of money, and it took like six weeks to get somebody to remove that from my account. Oh my it was just God. it was ridiculous. Um, so at that time, uh, a buddy of mine, um, we were kind of co-working on this like iOS Android app mm-hmm. uh, that was. You know, ended up failing, <laughs> but it was it was a lot of fun. And he was using DigitalOcean, and um, so I got on there and started using it. And uh, yeah, so I, I now have two droplets I'm using. I've got one that has uh, my personal site um, and a couple other like WordPress things that I'm working on with with some friends. Mm-hmm. And then I've got another one that I've got I think Laravel three three Laravel sites working running on. Mm. Um, and I I've been using Laravel Forge. Um, because DigitalOcean, you know, it's it's cheap. Like you can get a droplet for five bucks, and it's like one gig of RAM, yeah. uh, CPU, and everything. Twenty gigs of storage, but it's just a Linux box. So, you know, if you want to stand up WordPress or stand, well, I think WordPress, I think they have a one-click install. Oh. Um, but for like Laravel, you know, you really have to know like okay, Nginx or Apache. And yes. You have to get all that set up. So. Laravel Forge seemed expensive at first, but I've been using it for a few months and it's so easy to be like, hey, here's my new domain, mm-hmm. create a Laravel site on this server or stand up a new server. And it just gets PHP installed with the latest version. It's it's just so easy to, to use. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And how do you manage your domain names? Because I don't think DigitalOcean has a domain name provider, right? Right. Um, I was using my old... Uh, hosting provider but yeah. after all that Mega I, I <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm using Google um, oh. I think they, they charge like one or two more dollars more a year for domain mm-hmm. but I like that it's hooked up because I've got a um, an email address that's associated with uh, chrisperker.net and yeah. um, I kind of use it as like my, my tax write off like that's my business email yeah. so since it's part of Google I just have it all in one place like here's my domains that I've paid for this year interesting and, um, and their their service is, is fast. It's easy. The DNS, mm-hmm. I mean, you'll hook up a website and it, it seems like in less than an hour, you can go to that URL without needing to change your host yes. file in it. And it yeah, works, that's so. the thing with like regular hosting providers. You change the DNS and it's like, oh, just give us up to 48 hours to yeah. update the <laughs> DNS. What? <laughs> it's like, how is that possible? It's just like, it should be automated. Is that... Literally, like a guy that goes in the server, <laughs> unplugs <laughs> an Ethernet port, and just plug it back yeah, somewhere exactly. else. What what is happening? Like it's insane. 
Um, and DigitalOcean, um, I've only had my droplets go down, I think, twice mm -hmm. in the three or so years I've had them. And both times, they alerted me ahead of time saying, like, hey, we need to take down the the racks in this data center for a short network maintenance or whatever. Nice. And I never even really noticed it. But they told me ahead of time that it was going to happen. They told me after that what they did. Um, I just... I don't know. I've never had anything bad to say about them. Nice. That's good. Um, yeah. So I'm 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 thinking to switch to DigitalOcean. Right now I'm on AWS. Actually, like personally, my personal website is a Media Temple, which I I love it. It's kind of expensive. It's uh, twenty bucks a month for the basic uh, shared uh, type mm -hmm. of thing, but. The, the the good thing is that I went with Media Temple and not with all these other like hosting providers are super crappy. <laughs> so yeah. Even if they're cheaper, is that Media Temple um, has built-in domain name registration in it in the price. And uh, with your shared hosting, you have SSH access to your shared uh, server, um, which is a, like a sort of like sandboxed standalone version of this share. So you can actually install things. I can run Composer. I can run stuff like that in the browser, in the in the server. And uh, also I have the ability to um, register as inf like an infinite amount of subdomains in that domain name uh, directly inside the server. And there's like a zero seconds configuration for the DNS to be activated, which is great. Mm -hmm. And their support, I think, is one of the best ever. Like, I can literally call them and they answered immediately. And I had an issue with them just once in four years and they solved it in less than an hour. It was like fantastic. So, uh, Media Temple is one, if you like, for users, if you have to go with a hosting provider because you don't want to uh, deal with installing things by yourself or managing your server mm -hmm. or checking all these weird DevOps stuff. Just go with Media Temple. I wouldn't recommend anyone else. Um, but it's a bit expensive, especially for uh, the personal web, my personal website that doesn't get a lot of traffic. So for work, I use AWS because it's like a sort of enterprise type of approach. And AWS, the Amazon Web Services, they have more things than DigitalOcean, unfortunately. Yes, uh, they're they like massive and they have also built-in artificial intelligence uh, APIs and I can schedule uh, so many things with that. They have like a, a built-in budgeting system and wallet and it's just like too many things. It's not, it's not replaceable for an enterprise point of view. And for like my forum subdomain, forum.alicat.com is on a EC2 instance of AWS for my personal account. And for the small amount of traffic that I get, I actually pay 17 cents a month, which is nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I can play with it. I have full SSH access. I install things. I install every time there's a new software that I want to try a new CMS. I install it there. I boot up an EC2 micro instance, which is free for a year. I test it and I put it down and uh, I have only five gigabytes of storage with that. Um, but yeah, so a little bit of background, like both AWS and DigitalOcean's are services that you pay as you go. So it's not like a regular hosting provider that you pay a prefixed amount of money per month. And then it doesn't matter how much you use it. If you don't use it at all, or if you use it a lot, you still pay that amount of money. Instead with 
AWS and DigitalOcean, you start with a fixed price that is really, really low. And if you use it more, you pay more. If you use it less, you pay less. So it adapts based on the usage of your service, which is, I think it's great for when you're starting something because maybe you don't have the cash up front to afford um, like a more expensive hosting provider, even if it has everything. And these services, they give you full access to your server. So you can actually, yeah, you can have fun with it. Like go, go, go nuts and <laughs> install yeah. everything you want. Yeah. And like DigitalOcean, like the, the first droplet, I was, I was saying it only has like 20 gigs of hard drive space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for five bucks a month, you know, maybe you don't need more than that. But let's say you have an application that does need more space. Uh, they have these these blocks of of uh, hard drive space that you can purchase extra each month to add onto it yeah. and um, same thing with like uh, you know a five dollar server is not going to handle a ton of traffic but yeah. you know starting out you don't have much but let's say your website goes crazy and you get tons of traffic you can just up the the size of the droplet mm-hmm. You're like oh i, I want to pay twenty dollars a month to have two cores and four gigs of ram or whatever it is yeah. um so it, it's really cool to be able to to start cheap and and you know expand as you need it. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have on DigitalOcean the option to auto scale, set up on auto scaling without you managing the thing? Um, I'm not sure if no. there is a way, but they they do have a web API, so you could probably oh, yeah. easily build something, or someone probably has something out there already. Yeah. Uh, yeah, something that I love about AWS, you can set an automatic alert and see if, like, if your CPU or like bandwidth spikes for like reaching almost the limit of your instance, mm-hmm. you can automatically set an auto scaling and say like, okay, just like increase, and it doesn't matter. Like, it manages everything automatically, boots up another instance, and hooks it up, and um, it's really fantastic. Um, which I remember on a previous, like a funny story on a previous uh, work that I had that was working with lead developer that I don't know what the hell it was doing, but basically the client, every time they were, we were managing this really massive e-commerce site for a really big client. And every time they were releasing a new offer, a new promo code via uh, email marketing and stuff like that, they were calling the developer and say, hey, we're going to release these tomorrow so probably we're gonna have more traffic on the website and he was like okay i'm gonna boot up more instances to allow the like handling the the, the spike on traffic and everything was mm-hmm. done manually i was like uh do you know you can do it automatically <laughs> it's like you don't have to turn on to off stuff once every two days oh um, yeah yeah which is super convenient but yeah so i'm i'm thinking to switch my um, my personal website from Media Temple to DigitalOcean, but just because the Media Temple, I bought it like almost seven years ago where when I thought like, okay, my website, I wanna make it bigger, I wanna make it gigantic and all this kind of stuff. Instead now it's just a simple blog that I don't use that often. So probably is the best solution. Yeah, and I mean, the the great thing about it is, is it's like the five dollar droplet. It it says there it's like you know point zero one five cents an hour. Yeah. So it maxes out at five dollars a month. But uh, if you only want to use it for a few days to try it out, you know you're out you know 
30 cents or whatever it is. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can literally uh, boot it up and use it for a weekend to develop your thing. And then on Sunday night, you just shut it down and that's it. You pay those 30 cents, whatever it's going to cost yeah, you, exactly. like 48 <laughs> cents for 48 hours or stuff. Um, yep. So yeah, it's definitely like, is developer, like this is a... Um, sort of like a freelance developer approach first. Like it's for small developers that they want to test something and want to thinker. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it's it's going to grow? Because I know they just released uh, Spaces that is basically identical to S3 of AWS, which is a, a virtual um, SSD that you can, an SSD on the cloud, not virtual, sorry. Uh, an SSD on the cloud where you can upload all your data. Do you think they're gonna try to expand and have similar services to Microsoft Azure or AWS, or do you think they're gonna focus on like small developers? Um, I, I really hope so. Um, you know, I, I've seen them add features here and there over the years, and I mean, when I when I started with them, I think they only had data centers in New York and San Francisco, mm -hmm. and now they've got them in I think India, Germany, UK. Um, nice. I'm not sure if they have any in Asia, but uh, I think they've grown quite a bit. So I, I imagine that they'll, you know, push to compete more with Azure and AWS and yeah. everything. Um, a final question about this. Have you ever tried Google Cloud? Uh, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Same uh, so as, I, kind of. <laughs> I have a Laravel application that I'm I'm using um, Google's cloud storage for mm. like image hosting basically. Mm -hmm. um, there's like no traffic on that site, so it doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I used it because I was for some reason I I was building this Laravel application and I I wanted to use AWS and I could not get the cloud storage thing to connect. I don't mm. know why I tried so many times and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna try Google and it worked, so mm -hmm. I just stuck with them. Uh, yes, for Laravel, we had the same problem. You need to set up a service provider that hooks to CloudFront in order to stream whatever file you have on your like, S3 bucket that is like the SSD. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a three-step process, basically. Just because all the, the, the stuff, um, all your files in the S3 bucket are not publicly accessible outside your domain, your like the built-in domain uh, or the built-in IP address of um, your EC2 instance. So if you try to call them from within another website or that is not hosted in an EC2 instance in the same server, in the same region of your S3 buckets, for security reason, they don't allow you to it, but you have this bridge that is the CloudFront connection and there's like a service API for, for Laravel that allows you to do that. Uh, but yeah, it was really frustrating at the beginning as well. <laughs> like, why the hell I cannot access my own images? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that, and that, that makes sense. But yeah, uh, yeah it, it was quite frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, basically we are um, at the end of this lovely episode, which I had a lot of fun talking with you. And it's, it was great. It was great. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Okay, so where people can find you if they want to find you online and insult you and say like, <laughs> you're, not, you're too smart, I hate you and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Chris J. Perko. Mm -hmm. um, don't forget the J. There's there's another Chris Perko out there. But he's a liar um, and he's not. Yeah. <laughs> not the original one. 
Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, you can just search for Chris Perko. I'm, I'm sure you'll find me. I, I don't think there's any other Chris Perko's doing YouTube mm -hmm. right now. So. <laughs> Which is great and, because um, you need just one that is the best. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, my website is uh, chrisperko.net. Awesome. And what are you planning to do on your YouTube channel? I know you just started it. Uh... Uh, yeah, so I'm going to finish this uh, Tailwind and underscores building a word like a basic WordPress theme. Um, I'm planning on doing some more like introduction videos to um, like animating mm -hmm. things on the web, like uh, starting out with like CSS transitions, moving into transforms and animations, um, and then getting into more like SVG and Canvas stuff. Oh, nice. Um, and then I'd like to start doing some vlogs. Um, you know, I kind of feel funny just talking to a camera, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Like, yeah. <laughs> my first videos were like, oh, my God, I'm so awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just uh, just general web development stuff and, mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of what, what people are interested in. I'd, I'd like to see uh, some feedback, some comments on what people want to see, mm -hmm. what maybe I'm not explaining well and um yeah just just kind of whatever seems interesting well you're already like many many steps ahead of me because like my first <laughs> tutorial series where people commenting now like hey you're pronouncing this word wrong and like <laughs> hey no this is that's not how it works so <laughs> that's so uh, like you said you uh you started your youtube channel to help you learn english right yes exactly um yeah, I had issues with English, uh, I, especially from a technical point of view, and I was struggling at work. So I had my dead YouTube channel that I wasn't using it. I decided to record these videos to put them online and being able to listen to myself. The, the, like, the first video that I published was also private for like the first week or two because I didn't mm -hmm. think was good enough. And then I said, okay, who gives, who, I don't care. It's just like, let's put it public. Let's see. And actually I had a huge, a huge um, positive feedback, especially I think because the majority of my audience is from non-English speaking countries. And the fact that I speak with that thick Italian accent and I don't speak perfect English, it's strangely easier for them to understand me than a native English speaker because I speak really slowly and I say wrong words so they can relate <laughs> to it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, learning a second language is, is very difficult. I uh, I know a little bit of Spanish, not much. Nice. Um, I'm married into a Hispanic family, so, mm. uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy learning another language. Oh, it's terrible, <laughs> especially like having... Um, how is it like a real conversation during a job interview or like during a, a meeting with a client that doesn't understand servers and why you're offering that at that specific price and you have to justify your things like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, help me. <laughs> it's like, that was terrible. But yeah, that, 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 that turned out to be great. So yeah. Okay. Well, uh, good luck with your YouTube channel. I will be sure to put all your links in the description below. So you can guys, you can click and stalk Chris online. Just follow him on YouTube. <laughs> He's doing a great series on Tailwind, which I love it. And is, is it just started. So give it a good shake, especially with these super stupid things that YouTube did about monetization 
that you cannot monetize below a thousand subscribers, which is stupid. But yeah, um, be sure to subscribe to the channel. And uh, of course, the Nerd Continuity is available on YouTube, on uh, iTunes, and all the other RSS feed related podcasts. Check the links for the sponsor in the description, like Elementor and NordVPN. Thank you so much for listening to these two crazy guys talking about <laughs> technology shenanigans. And I talk to you in the next uh, tutorials or whatever is going to happen in a couple of days. Bye, guys. Do you want to say bye? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yep, bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay.